Welcome to I'll Be Dashed, a Woodhouse podcast. I'm Robin. And I'm Scott. And we are a father-daughter duo who read and talk about the works of P.G. Woodhouse. And today, I'm going to get very, very angry. <laughs> you know, when uh, we are talking about Smith and the City today, when I... Which is why I'm going to get very, very yeah. angry. When I read this last year... Uh, it wasn't one of my favorite Woodhouse books, but it wasn't one that I particularly disliked. I do think that reading it for the podcast and like really looking into it has colored my perception a little bit. So I don't think I disliked it as much as you did. Okay. But yes, I definitely do not like it as much as I did when I first read it. I, I was like, he's just, he's so pretentious. Like, I had so many issues with this book. It is my lowest rated Woodhouse. Yes, it is It is not my lowest rated. It's not even my lowest rated Woodhouse novel. That would be The Pot Hunters. Yeah, I, because you had asked me, I actually did rate The Pot Hunters above this i believe i gave this a 2.5 is what i said that's what you said yes yeah and the pot hunters had a three yeah this this one i gave a three yeah and i gave the pot hunters a two and i will say the only reason honestly it got a 2.5 was because of my cinnamon roll mike like if mike hadn't been in it i i don't know what, what we're we're definitely going to, well, we're not necessarily going to test it with the next Smith book. Mm -hmm. And I, I will uh, talk at the end of this about a little bit change to our schedule prompted <laughs> by the reading of this book. <laughs> dad, uh, dad read it and then he texts me. He's like, I think we're going to not make you read another Smith for a bit. <laughs> yeah, we are going to read Leave It to Smith which is the Smith book and also a Blanding's Castle book. Mm -hmm. I believe in December is when we're doing it. Because you wanted to be able to well, it's record three the podcast in person. <laughs> yeah, it's it's three books from now. Yeah. So, but uh, Smith Journalist that we were going to read two books from now, I have moved to, I believe, like March or April of next year. Mm-hmm. That is going to be your real test, I think, because Smith Journalist doesn't have the Blanding's Castle crew, mm -hmm. and it just has the barest amount of Mike in it. So that's going to be interesting. Poor and Mike. It, it's set in America too. Oh, I don't. I don't think I've read any books set in America yet. Well, oh, the the one of the Jeeves books was uh, in. New oh York. yeah, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah, you know, we will encounter a few uh, books set in America, mm -hmm, but okay. all right. Well, Smith and the City uh, was published in 1910, just one year after the publication of the Mike novel, and it is set after Mike and Smith have left school basically right before they're supposed to be going to college. So that's where we're at right now. Chapter one, 
Mr. John Bickersdyke walks behind the bowler's arm when Mike Jackson has scored 98. So right away, we hit Robin with cricket when I told her there wasn't a lot of cricket in here. And there isn't. There isn't, but like you you had said that like essentially only chapter 27 had a lot of cricket. Yeah, and, I've forgotten about this. Yeah, and I, I got to page three. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So Bickerstyke walks uh, behind the bowler's arm, causing Mike to be clean bowl by a long hop. Okay. I have no idea what that means. It, it's cricket, so I'm guessing that means the ball hit the wicket, making him out. Okay. A bunch of cricket talk follows, but luckily <laughs> we're not going to have to pay as much attention to cricket as we did in the last novel. Yeah, it's not as important. Yeah, fair enough to say that these cricket matches have allowed Mike to meet the Smith family. Cricket is Smith's father's current hobby. Smith had picked up Mike and they talked about where they were going to school, uh, unless Smith's father makes him a gentleman farmer, which I kind of wish he had done because that would have been interesting. Smith pointed out, to his father, his lack of training for farming, so he might have to go into commerce. So, of course, Smith already knows where he's headed and is kind of directing, manipulating his father that way. Mm -hmm. uh, Bickers, like the aforementioned walker in front of the bowler's arm, and who was at school with Smith's father, a fact that doesn't really play a big part in here. It doesn't. It keeps being, it kept being brought up that Biggersdyke, like, knew slash was friendly with Smith's dad. But, like, I didn't even notice the part where it's mentioned that they went to school together. I didn't, I, the whole time I'm like, how do they know each other? <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't really, that relationship plays no part mm -hmm. in the book, so. Yeah, not really. Uh, but he is a captain of industry and might get Smith into banking, much to Pickersdyke's dismay, we shall see. And regret. Yes. Over the week, Mike gets on well with Mr. Smith. At the match, Pickersdyke walks across the field, causes him to lose the match. Mike tells Mr. Smith what happened, and Mr. Smith varies between playing the host and wanting to berate Pickersdyke. This doesn't seem like a big deal, but it is the catalyst to a lot of what happens. And I want... Although, not actually the catalyst. Go ahead. I, 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 I want us to put a pin in this, that Smith is like, I'm torn between being the host and teaching Bickers like a lesson. I want us to put a pin in this. Because it becomes a reason that I get very angry later. Well, this is Mr. Smith that was having feelings, not Rupert. We don't really get Rupert's feelings about the situation until later. And it does has less to do with the, the cricket, but with his discussions with Bickersdyke, like, throughout the week. So... And and maybe this will come up later because it comes up later in the book. Okay. But part part of the reason that Smith annoyed me so much is because I 
swear on my life that at one point Smith is like figures like needs to essentially learn a lesson or or he something does. to that effect. Okay. But then later in the book he's like I'm trying to be so nice to him and I don't understand why he doesn't like me. Like he has, he has said both those things. Yeah, I know, so, but I'm just like but it was the the latter that really made me angry. I'm like you intentionally put yourself in a position to annoy the fuck out of him. Yes, that's true. Okay, I want to yeah. make sure I wasn't crazy cuz he was I felt like I was being gaslighted. No, see the thing is is that this situation that happened with Bickerstyke forcing Mike's team to lose the match. Mm -hmm. That would make sense for Mike to possibly decide to sure. do something to Bickerstyke. Yeah. But Mike is basically you walked in front of that, you made us lose. And then that was it for Mike, basically. Yeah, that was yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's we'll we will get into the situation with yeah. Smith. But Smith's decision to go after Bickersdyke is based not at all on this cricket match. Okay. Okay. Mr. Smith does tell Bickersdyke mightily what he did wrong, and Mike tells him a bit more forcefully and then leaves Bickersdyke standing. And that's the last of mm -hmm. uh, Mike's interaction with Bickersdyke before the bank. Yeah. And that's the end of chapter one. Yeah. So my first note was highlighting and then adding a note that says fucking back to cricket on page seven. Sorry, I thought it was page three, it's page seven. Yeah, I will definitely have to make sure we mark this as explicit. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I feel like the last one is I feel like all of them have been explicit, mainly yeah. because of me. <laughs> oh, I highlighted so one of the quotes is Smith's father had Smith's gift of getting on well with people. And my note was he does not have this gift. Maybe from Smith's point of view, because as we will see in this novel, Smith has a different recollection of how things occur than what they. Oh yeah, I made it. I make a, I make a comment later where I, I'm like, I think Smith is legitimately delusional. <laughs> like, if if I can look at Smith as someone who has mental health problems. Maybe I'll tolerate him better. Right. I I don't know how well this this comparison is going to work for you because I don't recall you ever really watching these. Okay. But when I think of Smith, <clears throat> I think of the Roadrunner. Okay. Roadrunner? I, I, have, I have watched those, yeah. yeah okay, the Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote. In this novel, for me, Bickerstyke is Wiley Coyote, who is I'm doing quote marks a bad guy. Sure. Although, although honestly, Wiley like, Coyote's just trying to live his coyote life. Yeah, he's just doing what he does. But every time Roadrunner pulls one over on him, and even though obviously the Roadrunner doesn't talk, mm -hmm. certainly not as much as Smith does. He just comes across as condescending and to me unlikable. It's kind of it's kind of the same thing with Tom and Jerry. I just feel bad for Tom. That is fair. I do feel bad for Wiley Coyote. 
you know, and, and it's not a perfect. I always character. thought of I always thought of the Roadrunner as a tease. I mean, a little bit. I understand. Okay, you don't want to get eaten, but <laughs> like it makes perfect sense, but, really. Do you have, do you have a dick about it? Yeah, like do you have to be <laughs> he's just the coyote's just you know playing his part, and you're over here like, ha ha, didn't get me. And like a Tom and Jerry, Tom's just he doesn't want to get his ass beat by the lady of the house and, and Jerry's just making his life miserable. <laughs> yeah. And, and that who Smith reminds me of is like, is Jerry and the Roadrunner, and, and a little bit of Bugs Bunny. Okay. Like, yeah, no, I can see that. Bugs Bunny has a likability though. So it depends on who his antagonist is. Quite honestly, if he's That's up fair. against Daffy Duck, every time I'm rooting for Daffy. Oh, well, yeah, because. Yeah. Or even. You have to do the Daffy voice now. It's not Daffy, it's Donald, but. Oh, I get all the ducks confused. <laughs> There's too many ducks, quite honestly. That's duckest. <laughs> I don't know. So, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Do you have any more? Uh, I do have one more. I have to make sense of it, though. Um, <laughs> the story of this novel. <laughs> okay. So, oh, I under, I think I understand why I highlighted it. Because my, my note was just, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I had to go back and actually look at it to see, like, why did I highlight this and have so much confusion? I'm just going to say the quote. Okay. Oh, okay. They're talking about the screen. It's, oh, I think it's when Mike is being more forceful with Bickersdyke about what he did. That curious white object, said Mike, it is not put up merely as an ornament. There's a sort of rough idea of giving the batsman a chance of seeing the ball as well. It's a great help to him when people come charging across, across it just as the bowler bowls. So apparently there's a screen behind the bowler? I, I would assume it's behind... Yeah, yes, yes. So I think the reason I highlighted it and had confusion is because I we watched like clips of cricket, right? I don't remember seeing a screen. I I I, I have no information to help us with this. Okay. I just kind of took it. I'm like, okay. Because I because <laughs> I'm just imagining like essentially like a a sheet of drywall behind the bowler, so <laughs> the, the the hitter, I guess, or whatever can see with contrast. Because I knew there was so little cricket in this, I was kind of like, I'm not going to bog my down myself down with cricket information. That is fair. So I'm like, Bickerstyke obstructed his view and caused him to lose. Okay, that's good enough for that's me. That's all you need to know. <laughs> that's that, all that is I fair. Need. That's fair. Okay, I won't. I won't harp on the <laughs> the wall too much. Oh, it, when we go back to the school stories, we may have to be bogged down more in sure. cricket, and we'll worry about it then. But I'm just, I know we're going to banking soon, so I'm like, okay. <laughs> Obstructed view. Got it. Okay, that's fair. 
that, yeah, those are my only notes for chapter one. All right. When Mike gets home, this is chapter two, when Mike gets home, there is a sense of gloom in the air. He asks his brother Bob about it, but Bob isn't sure, except that his, their father is worried about something. Uh, his father asks Mike to come to the study for a talk and says he would do what he could for Mike to go to Cambridge if he could, but he says he can't afford it, having lost a large sum of money. Okay. That's that's pretty much it. He he can't go to college now, so he has yeah. to go into the the real world. Yep. Yeah, I felt really bad for Mike in this chapter. Yeah, and my only note was um, after his dad told him that he wasn't going to Cambridge and you know he had to get a job and everything. Mike is obviously disappointed, but he his dad was like if there is any possible way and mike says no it's all right father really i don't mind it's awfully rough luck on you and my note was like mike was such a good kid that's why i i wish somehow that if it had been a thing battling against bickersteig i wish that it had been mike starting it yeah because i root for mike yeah i care about mike um, I one thing I, I want to point out here is we and I can't remember her name, but I'm kind of sad that we don't really. I think it's Marjorie, maybe. Oh, the sister, the sister. We mm. we don't get the sister, which kind of stands out because this is another novel in which there are, I believe, no. Oh, there's the one woman that he rents the there's uh, a landlord, the, yeah, but other but I think than that's that. It. I think there are no other women in here, or at least yeah. certainly no other speaking parts. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. So it would have been nice to at least see the sister who who I like. Yeah, we've met before. We do get to meet his brothers again, who don't mm -hmm. really make much of an impression with me, quite honestly. <laughs> uh, did you have any other notes on chapter two no, or any that notes? Was it. I just felt bad about Mike. My sweet cinnamon roll. Right. Yeah. We, we're going to get a few chapters with Mike. And then our uh, wool in a china shop is going to come in. And mm. Mike's going to take the back seat for a little bit. <sighs> so uh, chapter three. Mike finds out he is to work at the New Asiatic Bank on Tuesday of the following week. Which, if I rem remember correctly, I believe that is actually the name of the bank that Woodhouse worked at. Because he did work at a bank. Oh, really? Yes. He did not enjoy it. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> Which, based on this novel, you can maybe see that. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think that makes sense. Uh, this is where Smith writes him about his interactions with Bickersteig. You know, because I guess he's staying with the family for that period of time. And he and Bickerstein have conversations and they disagree. Uh, correction. The new Asiatic Bank is fictional, but it's based off of Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank where okay. Woodhouse worked. Okay. Yeah. I, I knew it was uh, had something to do with Asia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, this letter highlights the reason why when Smith gets there, he's all up 
in a tizzy to right. instruct, quote unquote, uh, Pickerstein. Uh, Mike writes in return about his circumstances. He goes to a cheaper part of the city to rent rooms. He finds a place with a horrible room and finds himself saying yes to it because he doesn't have a lot of money. Yeah, he, he doesn't really have options. <laughs> yeah, and, and the landlady tells him meals will be extra. He explores the city a bit and then goes back to his room. Okay. And, and Woodhouse gives us Mike, you know, having to start from the bottom up, living in a poor part of the city. And then he's just going to come swooping with Smith and change everything. I honestly would have been more interested in this novel than what we get but that's yeah. into chapter three so again i i want everyone to remember that smith did say he needed he needed to instruct Vickersyke because oh that makes me so angry later um <clears throat> if anything i believe then you'll probably agree with me that smith mm -hmm. is more condescending in this book than in the previous one Oh, by a league. And the thing like, that I noticed. New heights. Yeah, the thing I notice in here also that, you know, the whole Bickersteig thing, I, I, I was like, okay, but I don't like Bickersteig. But he's also very condescending to Mike, too, which is. is. So I'm sorry, uh, continue. Oh, um, I was. <laughs> my first note in chapter three. Mike is t thinking about the bank and he said it was short notice, but banks have a habit of swallowing their victims rather abruptly. And my note was, well, that's concerning. Because I'm like, I don't want Mike to be swallowed. <laughs> I mean, you, you, in, a, in a metaphorical kind of sense, you kind of. Yeah, is. yeah. Um, my only other note was I think Mike is thinking about Smith, uh, and he, he notes that Smith had a way of treating unpleasant situations as if he were merely playing at them for his own amusement. And my note, because that's 100% correct. That's very perceptive. <laughs> yes. Glad some, I'm glad Mike picked up on that. But my note was, I get that that can be comforting sometimes, but it's not always appropriate, especially for how Smith does it. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like... I yes, don't let yourself be affected by unfortunate circumstances. Is faking it till you make it is a great way to get through life. But the way that Smith does it, yeah, is and I, I will more say, than that. Yeah, sorry, I will <laughs> no, say no. that there will be people listening to this who are going to go, but I like this novel or I like Smith, and that's, that's perfectly great. fine that you do. But Smith is the type of character that both Robin and I just can't stand can't stand so that is yeah. going to color our perceptions of... and i i'm glad you brought that up because for people who like smith as a character that is wonderful i'm so happy that people like smith as a character i have recognized over my past like year and a half of returning to reading for leisure that i don't like manipulative characters I don't find them interesting. I don't find them fun. I, I find them to be horrible people, in my opinion, and that is based purely off of my personal experiences with manipulative people. And so I am not going to like any character 
that is manipulative, which Smith is. That can't be denied. Oh. And, but, and it's the same way that there are people who like the Roadrunner and like Jim Yeah, and, absolutely. Or, or, you know, you're going to like, like, some people are going to like Jason or Freddy Krueger. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you can put yourself in that fantasy world where that person is okay. Smith is just one of those characters where I can't empathize with. I can't empathize with him at all. And there there might be some people who, who don't like Mike and think he's boring because he's not, he's just an average guy. And that is totally fair. But in, in, that's what makes me love Mike so much because he's totally average in contrast to Smith. <laughs> well, you're, he's one of Robin's lovable idiots. That he is. And, and some people don't like lovable idiots and that is totally valid. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, did you have any other notes on that one? Uh, no. All right. We're on to chapter four. Mike goes to the bank where he is going to work. He sees men inscribe their names in a book with the book being removed at 10 o'clock. And if your name wasn't in it by that too many times over the air, you lost your bonus, which is interesting information, but not really anything that comes into play. <laughs> it, has no, it has no impact on the novel at all, but it's one of those things where it's like, you can tell that Woodhouse worked in a bank. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I think some of this novel is just Woodhouse getting out some of his frustrations about working in the bank. Out. Yeah. And I can almost guarantee you there was at least one bonus that Woodhouse didn't get. <laughs> I, I, when I read the biography, I don't, one, think that he worked there very long. Okay. And I don't think that even he himself would call himself a model employee. <laughs> Because I'm just like, this, this smells like someone who either thought that policy was super stupid or didn't get a bonus because he was late too many times. <laughs> uh, Mike asks another man if he knows what he is supposed to be doing. Mike tells him to see the manager. He points him to the office and Mike goes in to discover that the manager is Bickersdyke. Mm -hmm. uh, Bickersdyke calls Bannister in and tells him to take Jackson to his office. He will be taking over for Bannister and postage while Bannister is going to the cash department. He introduces Mike to Mr. Rossiter, who asks if he is Smith. Dun, dun, dun. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, he isn't, so Bannister shows him what his job entails. My first note was being glad that Mike met someone immediately who is able to to show him around and tell him what he's supposed to do or at least take him to Bickersyke. Um and so I made a note I'm like it's always nice when someone someone comforts you when you're new <laughs> when you're in a new situation and someone's actually like being nice. Yeah. I will also point out it comes up later in the novel but I don't think I really touch upon it in my notes. Uh this bank is somewhat of a feeder system for mm -hmm. banks in Asia. Yeah. So they had people coming in and out quite a bit. So mm -hmm. I don't think the new employees are really cared about at all. So they don't make the effort to go, okay, hey, you need to go to this department or that department. They just like show up the bank. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I just wanted to point that out. Uh, my other note, uh, so the app that I'm, I use to read this, it's, uh, I read it through Libby 
and for whatever reason it didn't do the whole like kindle thing so it was in libby but apparently you can't use emojis so i'm just guessing at what emoji i used for this note but when mike goes and meets mr bickersdyke the the quote is these reunions are very awkward mike was frankly unequal to the situation and we discover more later about how mike is just very awkward in some social situations oh and, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i just i just put the crying laughing emoji because i'm like it, yeah that would be an awkward meeting and then later on i'm like oh mike <laughs> it talking about the social situations if we're talking about the one i think you're talking about that's where i really started to dislike smith i know you dislike smith beforehand but that was oh. really, it was really like that that wasn't the one i was thinking of but yes that is a good example we'll, we'll get into that later but that yeah yeah i was more thinking about the one where where someone is actively like upset and mike oh. is just like i don't know what to do <laughs> yeah, no, I was thinking of the the dinner. Yeah, yeah. No, that is also a good example. Uh, my only other note was, I believe when, oh, he goes and meets Rossiter. Rossiter says like, "Oh, you've joined the staff," and this sends Mike down a a little uh, fantasy because he's like, "Oh, I like the way you 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 put that. I joined the staff." which means that the the bank's chairman would be reassured by my presence. And he goes into this whole thing in his mind where he's like, I'm happy to say, gentlemen, that our profits for the past year are three, some big number, uh, pounds, and impressively, that we have finally succeeded in inducing Mr. Mike Jackson to, in fact, join the staff. And people are cheering and everything in this like fantasy. And my comment was like, oh, Mike, honey. <laughs> but see, this is like, oh, I can relate to Mike because. Oh, yeah. No, I can 100% relate. My mind would sometimes go some places like that. And then when Smith is around, it's like, oh, I can't relate to this guy at all. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just, it was funny. My, my actual note was, Mike, my lad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, honey. <laughs> yeah, I was like, sweetie, sweetie pie, come on. But yeah, no, I thought that, I thought that was really funny. <laughs> really cute. Chapter five. Mike finds the work in the postage room pretty simple. Mike is bothered about being cooped up all the time, which makes sense. I mean, makes sense for him. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Waller from the cash department invites Mike to lunch, offering some assistance in finding his way around the city. They talk about Bickerstyke, who Mike calls a blighter, <laughs> which he says this before he knows Waller's opinion on him. So Mike just kind of like, Bleh. yeah, <laughs> probably shouldn't have said that, Mike. But at least this time it turns out OK, because Waller doesn't get along with Bickerstyke either. Mm -hmm. They they actually, I believe, started at the bank together many years ago. But of course, Bickerstyke went a different path yeah uh at the office mike looks up to see smith who claims that commerce has claimed him as her own what how does this guy not get punched more um, he really should get punched more rossiter comes and asks smith 
what he's doing there. Smith points out he is now hired. Smith talks and talks, not allowing Rossiter to interrupt. He talks a lot. Some would say too much. It's way too much. I only have one note for this chapter. It's at the very beginning because Miss Presence just shut me down. <laughs> oh, I, just, I just couldn't anymore. <laughs> um, my only comment was that Mike's job sounds boring as hell. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That was my only comment. I mean, it's something that's pretty much automated now, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chapter 6. After completing some tasks, Mike and Smith go on a stroll. Smith goes off and away about leaving his hats and gloves to signal that he is not kidnapped in such a way that I'm sure Robin finds quite annoying. Oh, just you wait. Okay. Smith <laughs> mentions downing uh, from Mike and Smith. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the one of the masters. One of the masters who fancied chased. himself Sherlock Holmes. Yes, and also chased Mike across the school grounds. Yes, and had the dog, I believe. is. Yes, he had the dog, yes. Okay. Uh, Smith says he will never have time to tell the story of how he ended there on a stroll, so he suggests going to a tea shop. Mark you, this is on his first day at work. Bickersdyke offered Smith's father... To make some room for Smith at the bank, he and Smith, according to the latter, having had some disagreements, which had made the elder long to have the younger under his control. Mike deems between that and the whole being annoyed at Bickersdyke for walking past the bowler that Bickersdyke might have it out for them. Smith warrants so, so believes they must make life difficult for Bickersdyke. <laughs> Mike doesn't understand how this might be so, since they won't work in the same area as Bickersdyke. But Smith doesn't... I have a cat on my paper right now. Smith doesn't <laughs> propose to do so during work. He plans to go to the same club as Bickersdyke because his father uh, gave him an allowance. And so, as we shall see, he has a pretty nice pad he is able to be in clubs. He's not having the same experience as Mike. He's uh, a privileged little ponce. That, that is another way of saying that same thing. <laughs> Smith says that he shall be Bickersdyke constant companion. Oh Again, I want this to be remembered. <laughs> The two of them head back to the bank, having spent approximately 25 minutes at the tea shop. Which, honestly, is not that long for tea. It's not, but again... It's too long for, for working. your first day. <laughs> so my first note was on the first page of the chapter. He says in his many, many, many speeches, he says in this one, the job of work which Comrade Rossiter indicated for me has been completed with masterly skill. The period of anxiety is over. The bank ceases to trotter. And my comment was, you just started, you asshole. Like, I understand the job is not difficult. But he keeps painting himself as this, like, savior of commerce. 
And I mean, every also, time he does, I want to smash his face into the wall. He also paints himself as a socialist while living this very privileged life. That's a good point. Um, my other note, oh, with the whole like hat and gloves thing, I highlighted that whole paragraph, but particularly Smith will return. When the fields are white with daisies, he'll return. And I wrote, God, you suck so hard. For whatever reason, Woodhouse seems to like this type of character. There's, I don't know why. <laughs> there's another character, Ukridge, who kind of is the same, except he's not privileged. Um, his schemes often fall flat, although more to the detriment of his friends than necessarily to him. But is you know, huh? Is his friend Birdie? No. Oh, <laughs> I don't that, seems, that seems like a Birdie and Wooster. I don't believe him and Birdie ever meet. Okay. But you know, he's more tolerable because you know he's not privileged. Yeah, bad stuff does happen to him. Sure. His schemes don't always succeed. Yeah. So he's automatically more, you're able to empathize with him more. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not particularly much. <laughs> I empathize more with his friends while also going like, why do you keep hanging around with this guy? Sure. But <laughs> he's definitely, he's more likable than Smith, which I don't like Ukridge. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my final note for this chapter is Smith pointing out that he he's gonna make a, a nuisance for Bicker's sake. And Mike says, You can't. What I mean to say is it isn't like a school. And my comment was, Thank you, Mike, for maturing. Grow up, Smith, you wanker. I think you're just using this novel to use all your uh British insults. <laughs> I guess that is true. I have used Ponce and Wanker. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if I use any more. Chapter 7. Rossiter, who had discovered the two of them gone about five minutes after they left, is hovering around their workspace and asks where they have been. Smith says they were posting letters. Rossiter points out Smith isn't needed for this, and Smith agrees. Smith completely throws Mike under the bus here, saying Mike's nerve had failed him and he was concerned about going to the post office alone. Rossiter wonders about the hat and gloves, but before Smith can explain, Bickerstyke shows up and says, Smith doesn't look busy. Bickerstyke turns to Rossiter and says, Smith will pick things up very soon. Uh, Bickerstyke starts to head out, but Smith stops him by telling him his father sends his regards. The rest of the day goes slowly, especially for Mike. The postage department is one of the last to leave. Smith waits with him and then asks about Mike's residence. He says Mike must come to live with him. Mike says he can't sponge off Smith, but sit, sorry, but Smith says he is to be his confidential secretary and advisor somehow turns the offering of a free 
uh, place to stay into an condescension. <laughs> well, yeah, he pretty much makes it so like, hey, I'm going to do this nice thing for you, but the flip side is that you have to be available to listen to all my insane ramblings at any time of the day. Yes. Like, that's what that means for anyone yeah. who's confused. <laughs> uh, Smith talks about the fact that Rossiter didn't give him up to Bickerstyke, which makes Smith think he can use Rossiter for his goals. All right, so that was the end of that chapter. Any notes? Um, I believe my only note was <laughs> when Mike was working, like doing his job, even though he doesn't like it. And my only comment was, good boy. <laughs> you capitalist swine. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, you know what? My Mike, my perfectly average lad, is doing a great job. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't have more comments about Smith in there. Oh, I think I disassociated a little bit. <laughs> like if I had to read any more of Smith's pompous speeches about how what a what a a worker be, what a drone he is, I may have like shot myself. So I'm pretty sure I disassociated. So you had a trauma response. I had a trauma yeah. response. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm like, God, I have, what, 25 more chapters of this bullshit. Chapter 8. Smith says in the war, what war? <laughs> they need proper allies. Such as... The delusional war against Bickerstyke. Yeah. Uh, mentioning Jellico in their battle with Spiller, whose name I had forgotten. <laughs> he was their third. What? <laughs> in the, they were a trio. They, he was the third. No, I remember Jellico. I didn't remember Spiller. Oh, you didn't remember Spiller. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, he, he was a third. I'm like, huh? What? what? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were talking about Jellico. Smith feels they must make an ally of Rossiter. They must find out what his hobby is. Okay. The next day, Smith brings up stamp collecting, but Rossiter shows no interest. Yeah, I also, hold on, I want to point out that, because I didn't make a note of this, but Smith is like, we have to find out what his hobbies are so we can bond with him. And then he names three completely boring and or off the wall hobbies and just assumes what i mean what shows you what he thinks of lesser yeah. humans yeah so i'm just like because i'm like where did you get these anyway continue all right uh smith tries other tactics without success which you know i liked it's not gonna last long yeah uh, Bannister stops by to check on Mike, and Smith asks him what sort of things did R Rossiter talk about. Bannister can't think of anything except perhaps football. Bannister believes Rossiter is a Manchester United man. Rossiter comes in, and Smith says he and Bannister were debating about whether Newcastle United or Manchester United was a better team. Rossiter Tells him to get to work, and then five minutes later says Bannister is a fool as Manchester United has no equal. Man, that five minutes of struggle was fun, though. It was. I, it actually <laughs> was. I was like, I'm. there's a character that has very little 
actual like dialogue anything in here but he's my favorite character in the novel because he frustrates smith oh is it rossiter no we'll get to him later i'm surprised you can't think of him right away because I, I know we'll get to him he's in later chapters don't think about it too hard we'll get it's gonna to bother me so my I typically really like the way Woodhouse writes. But there were two sentences in this chapter that for whatever reason really like stuck in my teeth and bugged the hell out of me. Okay. What used you to talk to him about? What used I to talk to him about? I don't even like I under obviously I understand what it's saying. So I'm just of like, course, it's Smith dialogue that bothers it, you. Oh, yes, it's, it's Smith. And then the response is mm -hmm. from Bannister just copying him. Yeah. And so my note was like, this feels so clunky. Normally, I like the way Woodhouse writes, but this sentence, these sentences are so awkward. Yeah, it sounds like he was trying to do the normal Smith kind of condescending talk and just yeah. stepped over the line a little bit. Yeah, because I'm like, I... I, definitely correct me if I'm wrong because I don't pay attention to grammar. <laughs> but like, I don't even think they're grammatically correct. I mean, I would say they're they are grammatically correct, but there's just not a sentence that you would say that way. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you could say, "Is there anything wrong with the sentence?" It's like, no. You're just like technically no. <laughs> yeah yeah it's just like technically no but you should change it <laughs> and then my other one was again smith but actually it has nothing to do with smith as a character but he says my dear holmes how elementary my dear fellow quite elementary and my comment was is this going to make dad go on a holmes tangent again you know i have Tried to make sure that I don't go off, you know, just willy nilly about things. And then you bring up stuff, which I didn't have in here. <laughs> well, that's why I take my own notes. <laughs> but, but no, I, I will not go off in my defense of Dr. John Watson, one of the greatest sidekicks in literature. Great. The greatest sidekick in literature, of course, being Sam Gamgee, who is not actually a sidekick, but is the hero of Lord of the Rings. Okay. You realize when you bring up these points, I don't argue with you. <laughs> also, another great sidekick, obviously, Piglet. <laughs> Again, I agree. But one of these things is not like the others. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Piglet is brave, kind. He is. He's also you know there were books, right? Oh, yeah. Before the cartoons. <laughs> no, I know, I know. It just, it just makes me laugh because you're like, you're like Watson and Sam and Piglet. <laughs> I will point out. That there were Lord of the Rings cartoons. 
I know. Before the movies. I know. And there were Sherlock Holmes cartoons. Okay, I didn't know that one. So, and now I have to, I'm pretty, I have to verify this, but I know I'm right. And see, somehow you got me going off on a Watson tangent. It just, it just sounds funny. I, I'm in complete agreement. It just sounds funny. There is a Sherlock Holmes cartoon. So. Great. Glad we know that. So. Refuted. <laughs> what are you refuting? I don't know. Whatever Again. it was, I was arguing. <laughs> you didn't have any other notes on that. Nope. Okay. Uh, chapter nine. Smith makes sure to talk about football to Rossiter in between bouts of work. On Smith's eighth day there, Rossiter agrees to go to lunch. On the 12th, he hosts it. Having gotten Rossiter on his side, he starts his campaign against Bickersdyke, at first just making sure he notices Smith at his club. Bickersdyke has a waiter come to Smith and see if he's a member of the club. Smith is, obviously. Bickersdyke runs into Smith three times at the club the next day. And the day after that, seven times. On the fourth day, Smith makes a comment to Bickersdyke, who tries to ignore him, eventually leaving the room. Smith finds him 15 minutes later at a card table, causing him to lose. Smith tells Mike about everything later that night. <clears throat> Obviously, nowadays, this would almost be like stalking, need to get a it restraining order against him. And my first note for this chapter, when, you know, he starts literally stalking him, is I would bash my head in if Smith was was stalking me. I would like, um, is there a job in one of our Asia banks? I'm just going to move. <laughs> Yeah, although I did like the way that <laughs> Woodhouse said this, because it's like, to be absolutely accurate, there were 3,718 members in the club. To Mr. Bickersdyke for the next week, it seemed as if there was only one. <laughs> it's like, Jesus. And again, we have to go back to your pin comment about this is all basically about Smith and Bickersdyke disagreeing over dinner. Oh, well, I'm glad you brought up the pinned comment because <laughs> when Smith is talking to Mike later, he said, you would think that a man would be glad to see the son of a personal friend. On the contrary, I may be wronging Comrade Bickersdyke, but I should almost be inclined to say that my presence in the senior conservative club tonight irritated him. And my comment was, that was your plan. Why are you lying? If you're going to be an asshole, own it. Like, in the beginning of this chapter, he's like, I'm going to make Mr. Bickers like life hell. And then later he's like, why doesn't he like me? Yeah, it, it, it's kind of like the two things. It's like if you meant to make us life hell, just own it. Just Yeah, just be like, my plan worked. He looked miserable. Or... If, and this is obviously not the case, you just 
are inadvertently annoying this man, then yeah, surely what? Sure. I didn't mean to what? Sure. But, yeah. You know, and he does this he throughout the novel with, with almost sorry <clears throat> with almost every situation. Yeah. Like after too. It's like if he had just done it with Bickersdyke, I'd be like, okay, I don't agree with your approach, but it's against Bickersdyke. But you're being an asshole to Mike too. Yeah. Yeah. It's Which just, we haven't uh, really encountered yet, but we will. We will. And then my my other note was just a point of confusion okay. um, for me. Because Woodhouse is describing the scene, right? When Mike comes back to Smith's apartment to like recap. He says that when Mike returned, Smith was sitting in an armchair with his feet on the mantelpiece. And my question is, were mantelpieces shorter back then? Because I'm picturing Smith like with his legs like all the way up on the on the mantelpiece where his we ass would have it. Pitches on fire. <laughs> yeah, he's just like in a recliner, but his legs are like at a what twenty degree angle. He's like it's sitting in a V. <laughs> Uh, I do not know the answer to this question, so I am going to just assume that you're correct and that the mantle piece, the mantle was just smaller. Because <laughs> I kind of wanted to just like where he's literally sitting in a V. Because <laughs> I'm like, you know what? This is an an eccentric. I don't know if I can say this word. Eccentric. Eccentric. Eccentricity. Thank you. That Smith has. He can't sit like a normal person. Honestly, that would have made him more likable. That's that's almost why I wanted to be true. Weird thing for seemingly no reason, and yeah, like that's almost why I wanted to be true. Then you can be like, oh, th that dude's a goober. <laughs> yeah, like what a weirdo. <laughs> kind of like him now. Yeah. Chapter ten. Everybody at the bank realizes Bickersdyke has something on his mind. So, I don't really get into it, but I, I will talk about it right now. In this chapter, Bickersdyke basically comes in. He's upset. And he's angry. So, Smith's actions are impacting everybody at the bank because everybody has to deal with Bickersdyke attitude now so it's just not bickersdyke versus smith smith is smith is affecting other people mm -hmm. and he does not care no no definitely not <laughs> uh bickersdyke wants to sack smith but can come up with no reason to do so he obviously could uh sack him for no reason whatsoever mm -hmm. but th then it could come out and go up to the board or whatever. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he's Smith is technically not doing anything wrong. Yeah. He's also not saving the bank. Like he thinks he is. Well, it, Smith thinks a lot of things. <laughs> uh, Bickersteig sends for Rossiter who says Smith is an excellent employee. Uh, the next night, Bickersdyke is to address a meeting at 
a town hall. He is looking to run for parliament as a unionist rather than as liberal as he had before. After a long introduction before an uproarious audience, uh, Bickerstein gets up to speak and starts to get some applause. He turns his ire on the needs of the Navy by saying we must burn our boats. Smith in the audience asks how that will strengthen the Navy. Bickerstyke is thrown off, misquoting a figure, and rather than moving forward, goes back to correct it. He starts to quote an antidote, one very similar to one in a book called Three Men in a Boat. The story goes over well, earning applause, then Smith stands up. And that's the end of the chapter. Um, my only note for this chapter, because I found it kind of boring, um, was... <laughs> There's, there's a lot about, yeah, I was like, there's a lot about <laughs> politics, which like not the way to get me to be engaged. <laughs> Woohoo! Politics and cricket. <laughs> God. <laughs> and Smith, oh my. <laughs> um, my only note was just sort of pointing out that like from the from what I know, which like remember, I just said that I don't really pay attention to politics, <laughs> is that it seems as though town hall meetings haven't changed in a hundred years. Oh, well, there are less tomatoes thrown now. Unfortunately. That is an opinion. <laughs> I, I personally, I would pay a lot more attention to politics if we could throw tomatoes. Well, now we know how to get Robin's vote. <laughs> <laughs> That's my platform. I'm going to run for some sort of office. And my first thing I'm going to change is bringing back rotten vegetables. <laughs> oh, so not only throwing tomatoes, they get to be rotten, too. Well, if you throw, like, ripe vegetables, then, like, you could actually hurt someone. If you're throwing mm. rotten tomatoes, then they, like, burst on impact and you just get messy. But most tomatoes would burst on impact, too. I mean, I guess it depends how hard you're throwing them. I'm not, like... Uh, not like uh, a, I do have to say, I haven't uh, field tested this, so it, sure. <laughs> I, we could field test I, it. I will concede this point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that was my only <laughs> I got to be honest. Nothing Smith does in this chapter is wrong technically no but his mere presence He's just such an asshole about it yeah he deliberately came there to do it and... yeah and then acted like he didn't which we will get into the next chapter chapter 11 mike who wisely did not go with smith is at home and see smith come in with discoloration on his eye Yes. Uh, with his collar hanging loose and no tie. Smith is silent and goes to his room for a looking glass to examine himself, then goes to the bathroom for 10 minutes before coming out in pajamas. Oh, no. Oh, no. Not just pajamas. Okay, go ahead. Sky blue pajamas, slippers, and an old Etonian blazer. This fucker <laughs> is wearing a blazer. From his from Eaton for his 
casual clothes. If that doesn't paint a picture of Smith and who he is in his all pretentious fuckery, oh no. <laughs> remember, we can't ever forget he went to Eaton. Um, Mike asked if there was a row. These people can just never say fight. <laughs> <laughs> there was a row. Smith explains that he is misunderstood Ugh. as he was actually trying to help Bickersdyke. Why are you lying? He tells about the fishtail, which Mike had also heard before. Which I'm also like, if Mike and Smith have heard this before, mm -hmm. it would make sense that other people in the audience would have heard it before. Well, sure, but I don't know. I'm kind of operating under the assumption that even if it's a fairly popular story, people like it and don't mind hearing it again and know that it didn't actually happen to him. Like, I don't believe any stories I hear in politics, quite honestly. Yeah. Smith had gotten up and said that someone had taken Bickersdyke tale and published it in a book. In fact, published it in 1889, which we don't really get the year here, but I assume it's about the same time that it was published. So 1909, 1910. Yeah. Uh, Smith keeps pushing the point, and honestly, I'd like him more if he just said he caught Bickersdyke in a lie and was determined to make him suffer rather than this, I was only trying to help nonsense. Bickersdyke tries to get some audience members to go after Smith, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> yeah, and then Mike and Smith talk about what might happen the next day at the bank. You can't see Robin's expression, but I, I guess we'll, we'll let her words say. Oh, I'm not, I don't think I even quite honestly comment on Smith right now. Oh, no, I did. <laughs> oh, okay. So I, I, I wondered if this was another chapter where I disassociated. Uh, it's not. I did make a comment about Smith. Because he says, you know that all my efforts are directed towards making a decent man of him. That in short, I am his truest friend. And my comment was, oh, get off it. I, it's there's, a, there's so, another Britishism for you. <laughs> it's got to be so hard to just continue to act like this all the time. To literally, to Mike, who he told his original plan to. So that's the part where I'm just like, is he delusional? Where, like, even in semi-privacy, he still maintains this belief that he's Bickersdyke's truest friend. Like, I'm like, is he unwell? <laughs> All right, chapter 12. The next day, everyone is wary of Bickersdyke's bad mood. Only one man seems happy. Hmm. And you guess who it is? It's Smith, who seems to have no concern about the havoc he has caused. Uh, Bickersdyke calls for him. The manager says the bank has no place for humor. Smith agrees, saying that he is never humorous at the bank. Bickersdyke proceeds to try to sack Smith regardless, but Smith points out that Bickersdyke had said... If he had Smith working under him at the bank, he would set him straight. If he fired Smith, he would be admitting he bit off more than he chewed. Smith then goes on about pterodactyls and <laughs> so forth. 
And I'm sort of rooting for Bickerstyke to just pop him in the nose at this point. I'm like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, dude. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he basically blathers until Bickerstyke stops trying to talk and Smith goes back to work. I, If I was Bickerstyke, I would have just sacked him anyways. He's like, yeah, hey, you're right. I couldn't do it. Bye. Yeah. Just like, sorry. <laughs> Terror, speaking of pterodactyls, has no place in a bank. You're done. <laughs> I, was, I, I didn't even bother to try to figure out what the hell Smith was saying. I apparently didn't either because I only have one note on this chapter and it has nothing to do with Smith. I'm like, sure, he's talking about pterodactyls. Okay. <laughs> sure. As one does. Sure, yeah. Great. Okay, so your one note? <laughs> yeah, my one note. So I want you to express pride in me. I'm so proud not, of you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> for not making anything queerly subtextual. Well, I may have to take my pride uh, back because I assume you're about to. I only have the one. I, I'm fairly I like how you want me to be proud of you for something that you're about to completely just I went almost half the book without making any sort of like subtext comment. Although in my defense, I don't think this is subtext. <laughs> I think it's just text. Okay, go ahead. It says the cashier, Mr. Waller, seemed to have taken a fancy to Mike. <laughs> Is that it? Yeah. Dude. What? No, I I know what it means. I know. You know, he favors Mike, whatever. Like, but <laughs> the use of the word fancy, come on. Look, it made me happy. So it made you happy that uh, upper management person decided he liked one of the young boys that worked under him. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Look, I've read plenty of books with that storyline. Uh, well, I have read, like, not that storyline, but I, I have read books where, like, uh, a person gets together with their nanny, which... I'm that's, just like, that's just inappropriate. That is inappropriate. <laughs> Look, all I said was I highlighted a fancy to Mike, and I just said, <laughs> I think you dislike this novel so much that you're just looking for something because yeah. that Mike friend was a reach. <laughs> I would agree. but it, I am it, not proud of you. <laughs> it, it just made me happy to think about for a second before Smith came in and ruined everything. <laughs> Chapter 13. <laughs> Wait. What? Chapter 13? Yeah. Weren't we just on chapter 14? No. Which would explain why I was like, why are you talking about Waller? Because uh... remember chapter 12, I was talking about Bickerstyke and Smith going back and forth. Oh, yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> apparently. I do have to uh, point out I'm even less proud of you now. <laughs> thanks, Dad. <laughs> um, I, I apparently don't have notes on 12 or 13. Okay. And now you know what my one note for 14 was. So you skipped over two heavy Smith chapters. You're like, oh, Mike. <laughs> uh, yeah, apparently I, I was just like, no, I noped right out of that. I'm like, all right, Smith, Smith, Smith. Mike. <laughs> well, and then the funny part, I'm going to give you a little spoiler. I don't have notes on 15 or 16 either. And my first note in 17 well don't tell me what wait, the note is i'm not gonna i'm not gonna tell you what they are oh i'm sorry both notes for 17 are about mike because i gotta be like <laughs> you have to be talking because i know I read the synopsis i'll still talk but <clears throat> i just I don't want to be dominating the... I'll, I'll no i'll still have things to say but i apparently just did not, <laughs> did not want to highlight anything about smith so okay, chapter thirteen. Chapter thirteen. I've been doing so well with notes up until then. Yeah. Woodhouse waxes poetic about the differences between a bank and a school. As he seems quite enthusiastic about his school life, even later in life, and he didn't enjoy his time working in a bank, you can figure out which one he talked about more. Uh, Mick. Mick. Mike found some Riken students among the workers, which makes him happy. He also doesn't really acknowledge Sidley. He doesn't. He doesn't. Like, it's all about Riken. Woodhouse has that habit sometimes of, like, in later books, just not mentioning stuff that happened. Like, like, in the Blanding Castle book, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like, except for R Rupert, mm -hmm. uh, none of the secretaries are mentioned mm. after they appear. Appear. I was like, I was like, appear. I was like, that is a living nanny. <laughs> That's an au pair. <laughs> uh, Mike found some Riken students among the workers, which makes him happy. They know about his cricket career and spread the word. Which doesn't really come into play yet. Mm -hmm. Doesn't really come into play later, but cricket does come into play later. But for Bickerstyke's hostility, Mike has reconciled himself. Towards the beginning of the new year, a new man comes in and Mike has moved on. <laughs> Do you have any notes, Robin? <laughs> no. Do you have any Mike is, Mike is a darling flower and I love him. <laughs> I think you love Mike even more just because he contrasts against Smith. Oh, 100%. Like, I, I do enjoy Mike as a character. Like, when it was Mike at Riken, I really enjoyed him. But now that he's just constantly contrasted with Smith, yeah, Mike is Mike, Mike is my darling lad. He just <laughs> wants to exist, man. And he has this like pompous best friend that won't let him do it. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> Chapter 14. Mike is moved to the cash department. 
His job mostly consists of working on ledgers, unless Mr. Waller, the cash checker, was out to lunch, and then he would cash checks for people. If Mike didn't make any mistakes, Mr. Waller caught it and corrected it. Waller seems to take a fancy to Mike. Are you done? Yeah. Okay. Smith is upset not to have Mike nearby. Smith was replaced by a youth named Bristow, who is not good enough for Smith. Honestly, also, I love Bristow as well. <laughs> I, I do. He's like one of my favorite characters in the book. And it's like, <laughs> he also has, will the cat stop lying on my notes? <laughs> he also has cats lying on his notes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bristow also has detachable cuffs, which he does detach. And that is an affront to Smith. For some Bristow has an interesting sense of style and it really bothers Smith. <laughs> It does, which I love. Bristow also has a small mustache and a ring. And, and I just love that a ring bothers. Yeah. It, they don't really describe the ring. It's, it's just it's just a ring. A ring. Well, and plus, the small mustache, I'm like, what if that's just how his body hair grows, dude? I was like, <laughs> and my favorite part, he addresses Smith as Smithy. <laughs> I forgot about that. I do like that. <laughs> and you can tell he doesn't say the P. Oh. No, most people don't say the P. Most people you don't. You can tell by Woodhouse when he's having people address Smith, he does it with no P. Yeah, even Mike. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, calling him Smithy gives Bristol my undying love. I take a <laughs> fancy to him. <laughs> Smith comes to Mike's department complaining about Bristol's waistcoat. <laughs> uh, Wasn't it like purple or something? Possibly. Well, and plus, okay, so here, here's a comment. Smith complains so much about Bristol's attire. Smith is this word I probably shouldn't say because I've swore too much on this podcast already. Who had lavender gloves in the first chapter in this book. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry. Like, you're a dandy. Like, you have the, the fucking stupid eyeglasses. You're wearing lavender gloves. Like, you don't have any room to judge anyone else's outfit. Yes, and as you know, people who don't have room to judge other people always do not judge other people well i'm just saying like because he complains about you know Brissot's waistcoat which i think is purple but he's i'm like you wore lavender gloves at the first part of the book like why are you complaining you kind of tell you, he's he's a bit of a dandy and he looks down probably on everybody else's dress yeah. It's just apparently Bristol stands out so much. <laughs> I think Smith is jealous. I I honestly I I'm glad Bristol is here because it's nice to see something not go Smith's way. Yeah. 
Yeah, and Bristow seems, from what we know of him, because we don't actually see him that much, but Bristow yeah, doesn't seems, really. He doesn't have he, much dialogue. I, if any, yeah, I think he has a little. I think I think he has like one or two lines, but he. I forgot what I was gonna say. All right. Yeah, I I don't well, know. Well, let the me only... finish the chapter, and you can think about whether or not you anything. Uh, Waller, usually the most forgiving of department heads, tells Smith he must let Jackson get on with his work. He asks Mike to take his slot as he must see inward bills about something. Waller comes to see Smith and uh, admits that he too is a socialist, although Smith really isn't a socialist. Not a socialist at all. He invites Smith to come here and speak in the park to bring Jackson, and the two of them are to come to supper with him. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. well, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. So, did you think about? No. Okay. <laughs> you have anything? To... Yeah. Uh, whatever comment I was going to say about Bristow is completely gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just fucked off to nowhere. I, just the idea that anyone could look at Smith and think that he's actually a socialist, like he claims. Like, just because he goes around calling people comrade does not make him a socialist. Like, and plus, him going around calling everyone comrade is just another sign of his pretentiousness. All right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep, those are my comments. <laughs> <laughs> my comments. Fuck Smith. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Robin, what are your comments on this chapter? See previous comments. (laughs) It's like, let me go on a five minute rant about how pretentious Smith is. That's my comment. All right. Well, I'm sure this chapter will change your mind. Oh, yes, for sure. Chapter 15. Smith goes on and on about how they might get to the park, and I start to wonder if Mike is deaf. Or just the kindest man in the world. <laughs> Wait, did you say this is chapter 16? 15. 15. Oh, Jesus. All right. <laughs> uh, Smith said, says that he might speak, and Mike says, don't bring him into it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mike's like, absolutely not. Smith says he is not one of those who loves speaking for speaking's sake. And I can't believe you did not have a comment on that. Well, because I feel like, honestly, I feel like I dissociated, but I feel like when I got to that part, I was probably like, I'm not going to say anything new here. I'm just going to point out that he's lying. I will point out after I read that, I physically laughed. (laughs) (laughs) You laughed out loud. Oh, yeah. And I can, the funny thing is, like, because I know you so well, obviously, because you're my father. Like, (laughs) holy shit, this is new news for people who may have forgotten. Um, (laughs) We're a father daughter duo. (laughs) But I can hear the laugh you would have made in my head. (laughs) Because it would have been. Mike, I'm glad to see, knows exactly how Smith might act, and he shudders at the thought that he himself might end up obligated to speak. 
Smith then even brings up that possibility because Smith is an asshole. <laughs> Waller is waiting for them. There are two other speakers there. One without a palate. Which greatly impacts his ability to be understood. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what the hell is he saying? And why are people listening to it? I, I'm not going to imitate it because that would... That would be rude. That would be rude. But I'm just <laughs> imagining what it sounds like. And it's like... Yeah. Like if you were his friend... There, there know, wouldn't be any like you, enunciation. <laughs> yeah, like whatever you're gonna say, give it to me and let me say it, and I'll you know obviously point out that you wrote it. But there, there would be no like enunciation without a palate. Uh, Waller starts to speak and links the lethargy. He links the lethargy, <laughs> lethargy is a hard word, <laughs> of the masses to their fondness for alcohol, which, for some reason, the audience does not take well. Well, because they're all alcoholics. <laughs> I think they may have already been a little bit drunk. <laughs> yeah. They're a very rowdy group in the park listening to socialists speak. <laughs> yeah. Mike watches the crowd and sees a youth pick up a stone, and Mike throws him to the ground and hits him in the eye. Smith is a bit apprehensive. The man who his name is Bill comes at Mike and that's the end of that chapter. Mm -hmm. I like that Mike wanted to defend Mr. Waller. Well, I mean, Mike is more of a man of action than a man of words. <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, without a doubt. Because <laughs> he didn't really even, like, hesitate. Oh, no. I mean, we we have seen that with Mike. He does not hesitate at all to get into scraps. Yeah. Chapter 16, does it piss Robin off? <laughs> Woodhouse compares Bill's fighting style to a combination of a tortoise and a windmill in... I could not picture that. The only thing I could picture was, you know, when when turtles or tortoise tortoises turtleses is is my brain now broken? You can't say it. <laughs> turtles or tortoises? Yeah. Okay. Is that the plural of tortoise? <laughs> that word it sounds so wrong to me. I the so. the the sea dwelling or land dwelling creature that lives in a shell. I'm just gonna keep this all in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just picturing one of those on their back. You know how they're like flail wildly, and then windmills, you know, go around. So I'm just picturing a turtle on its back, just like windmilling its flippers and arms. <laughs> Which is not really a fighting style, yeah. unless you're within that, like... I mean, I, I guess it's a defensive one, to. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get close. Just go to the ground and do this to try to keep people away. Speaking of turtles on their back, I saw this really cute video of a turtle that was, like, in a pond or something, but it was on its back, and it couldn't get itself righted. 
So all its turtle buddies like converged on it and like helped to flip him over. <laughs> and then, meanwhile, the dick with the video cameras kept like, turn that fucking turtle over, man. Like, like, but you see, like, like fifteen other turtles, like, come to help their buddy. It was so cute. Now that we talked about turtles, yeah, for no reason. And the other one that I'm just not—it is say. tortoises. Tortoises, okay. It just—it feels wrong in my brain. I, I can see that. Yeah. I think you're probably getting like a little cactus thing. I I think so. Yeah, I almost want to say like tortoise or something. <laughs> that sounds like pasta. It does. <laughs> Uh, Bill gets a minor blow against Mike and Mike tosses him into another man and is hit by friends of Bill across his shoulders with a stick. Oh, that's why. Okay. Sorry. Like what? His injuries later? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Because one of my notes highlighted that his back hurt and I, I couldn't remember why. Oh. I knew it was the fight, but I didn't remember exactly what happened. Mike and Smith see the best task is to run. They run toward a stationary tram. The conductor, who is apparently a sporting man, although doesn't really play a part, hasn't sent the tram off yet. Mike and Smith get to the tram, but of course it doesn't take off, and Bill grabs Mike. Smith hits the first of the next three men, who happens to have been the one to use the stick, and hits him hard enough to put him out of the further proceedings. One of the other two fell into Mike and Bill, and Smith hits the other. The man staggers into Bill, who, having been hit in the eye again, mistakes him for an enemy and hits him. A constable asks what's going on. Smith tries to butter him up, but fails, hmm. and he calls the conductor as a witness. Smith pulls out a few coins, uh, which is of more interest to the constable than any buttering up. The conductor tells the tale pretty much how it happened, and Smith passes the coins on. Okay, so it wasn't this chapter that pissed me off. I just thought it was stupid. <laughs> I'm doing so well in my literature classes. <laughs> I, yeah, I hope that's not how you're writing your essays. This is stupid. My, ref my weekly reflections are just like... Yeah, the chapter was dumb. <laughs> Honestly, the the turtle piece is the most interesting thing. <laughs> okay, Robin's not a fight fan. Got it. I, it's just, it's a it's a stupid fist fight in a park over nothing. Like it, it I don't know. I I don't know if this is like a man thing. I I just it it's a situation that didn't need to happen. Well, yeah, this entire book is a situation <laughs> that didn't need to happen. I mean, fair, good point. If it's a book about things that need to happen, it'd be like three pages long. Wouldn't that be so much better? <laughs> I like the mic chapters. I like the mic chapters, but, but I just mean, no... like this. Ch <laughs> this chapter did nothing. Like the same things in like chapter 17 could have happened without the fight because they still would have gone to dinner at mr waller's 
and everything <laughs> after that still would fight. Like the the fight served no purpose. Not wrong. Yeah. So to me, it's just like it was a, a kind of pathetic fight that happened for no reason. I guess I was just a little bit more lenient since we had just gotten off the pot hunters. <laughs> sure. What had so many more things were apparently happening for no reason whatsoever. Then I'm like, yeah. oh, sure, that's fine. I, thought, I guess that's fair, it, but it, it's just it's just the fact that it was it was a fight. It was and Mike got hurt. Honestly, I think it's the fact that Mike got hurt for no reason. And and Smith didn't. Mm -hmm. Smith, you like know, if Smith had gotten hurt, that'd be like great. Smith got hurt in the. Uh, town hall thing but of course we didn't get to see it we but just, it happened we, off page yeah yeah so yeah it it, it would have been enjoyable to at least one just, punch yeah just see smith get punched just once we're normal people yeah. <laughs> we want bodily harm to a fictional character <laughs> chapter 17 Mike and Smith take a cab to their flat. Smith having balked at the thought of being on a tram. Okay. Smith requests Mike make tea. Which... <laughs> I'm sorry. It's no, one no, of my... Go ahead. It's one of my notes. I'm like, you're going to make the person who got hit with a stick in his back make tea? You've Fucker, <laughs> like I, my note was literally, oh sure, have the injured person make tea. Well, my per parenthetical after this was Smith has opinions on tea making, but never actually does so himself. <laughs> also a fair point. Which, like, I don't know. I guess the opinions on tea making didn't bother me because I also have opinions on tea making. <laughs> I and I don't drink tea. Yeah, and I I do so, but but the fact that I'm like, Mike, this is the quote: Mike, his back throbbing dully from the blow he had received, and feeling more than a little sore all over, prepared tea. Yeah, I have considering Mike has stolen pain from the blow he received. <laughs> I'm just like you are the worst friend. Which I isn't would, surprising, but still upsetting. I wouldn't say the worst friend, but he's pretty bad. I mean, he, he did give Mike a place to stay. So, he's not the worst. There are worse friends. But he, but he sucks. <laughs> but even that is manipulative. He only oh. does that so he can have Mike close so that he can share all his insane ramblings with it, him. It, it does come with fine print addendums yeah yeah it's it's everything is about how mike can benefit smith mm -hmm. all right sorry continue oh uh, and obviously feel free to interrupt any time oh i will okay, okay. <laughs> i'm scared <laughs> Uh, Smith. I goes, like that. I immediately. I was just kind of with like which, and you were like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "The floor is yours." <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Smith says they need to prepare to go to Waller's for supper. Mike feels uncomfortable in situations where he's not on the same level as the other people. <laughs> he seems to think Smith is different, having the ability to get on with everyone. I have different opinions. <laughs> I just think Smith doesn't care yeah, what yeah. other people think and just kind of talks over them and yeah. essentially beats them down. Yeah. I... <laughs> Based off my other note, and then you saying that Mike doesn't do well in situations where he's not on the same level, I related to Mike so hard in this chapter. Yeah, and when I say on the same level, I don't think that he necessarily thinks he's below people, but mm -hmm. you know, he he feels comfortable talking with people like him. If, mm -hmm. if there were a bunch of cricket players there, he would feel perfectly would, fine. Yeah, he would do wonderful. But if there are people who are his boss there are kids there are people with no palates it's a very uncomfortable dinner for for mike yeah. and as we will see smith doesn't make it any easier no he's the worst friend uh they talk about the fight and mike is concerned that smith will talk about why mike did it because he he did it for Mr. Waller. Yeah. Um, and, and this is probably another reason why you, you like Mike is like he doesn't feel mm. comfortable with praise or compliments or mm -hmm. attention. <laughs> Mike is very much like, you know what? I'm just going to be here in the background and no one pay attention to me. Yeah. There are four other people at the supper, including Waller's son, Edward. He is seated next to Mike, and Mike, like I, doesn't and me. Do doesn't do well with young boys. So the quote is, the reason both dad and I are like, oh, that's me, is because Mike got on with small girls reasonably well. He preferred them at a distance, but if cornered by them, could put up a fairly good show. Small boys, however, filled him with a sort of frozen horror. And my comment was, I have too much in common with Mike. Yeah. <laughs> in this next line is where I think I completely turned on Smith. I I still didn't dislike Smith as much as you did, but Waller tells Edward not to bother Mike, but Smith says Mike likes it. Which you can tell from the first, he does not like it. Because Edward is someone that just apparently gives people pop quizzes. Yeah, Edward is, is not a bad kid. He's just annoying. He's just annoying as hell. Um, but Edward, <laughs> the first thing he says to Mike is, do you know the principal exports of Marseille? He inquired. And Mike's response was, what? Said Mike coldly like mike didn't even try and smith is like oh he likes it <laughs> i was like there was no reason to do that except that you're a dick as you can see as the this whole time at uh waller's house goes on he deliberately being mean to mike yeah there's just no other way around it. There's no, he's intentionally being mean. And like Mike isn't necessarily, 
I'm not going to say he's not trying, but I'm going to say he's not good at he's hiding uncomfortable. how uncomfortable he is. Yeah. And so oh, it's yeah. very obvious. And so the fact that Smith is like, oh, he likes it. Or keep talking to him. Like, it's like, no, you're, you can tell that your friend is uncomfortable. You're now you're just being mean. Yeah. Because he's the worst friend. Preble, the man without a palate, asks Mike something, <laughs> but Mike doesn't understand him. So Mike just says, no. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out Preble was asking him to pass the mustard. <laughs> Mike's like, no. No. <laughs> Meanwhile, Smith is studiously avoiding paying attention to Mike. Because Mike has to have that look on his face like, get me out of this. Yeah. <laughs> Mike is just like staring Smith down like, come on, come on, let's go, let's leave. There's also apparently a row between Ada, Waller's niece, and a Mr. Richards. Ada leaves, and apparently the two of them had a discussion about the woman's suffrage. So there, there is another woman in here. I was oh, I yeah. about Ada. But also, I don't know. This is another one. It's like, what did this have to do with anything? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And it wasn't even one of the things, oh, this is another thing to make Mike uncomfortable. Because Mike wasn't really involved in it. So Yeah. <laughs> Mike, Mike had no opinion on this. <laughs> All right. Edward tries to push his knowledge. Preble speaks as a, and is not understandable, and Mike hopes for sweet, sweet death. Pretty much, yeah. 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 That's the end of that chapter. I already talked about my notes for the chapter. Chapter 18. Smith prompts Preble to speak to Mike about rights of property. Again, Preble has no palate. And Mike is uncomfortable with it. Yeah. <laughs> Edward is sent to bed, and Smith suggests having the boy over to the flat to chat with Mike. He himself will almost certainly not be there. He says this. I'm starting to wonder if Smith is a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a fair question, quite honestly. Finally, Smith says they are to leave and invites them particularly Preble, to come see Mike. This is all deliberate. Yeah. It's all deliberate. Uh, Smith gets records of the meeting of the Tulsa Hill Parliament from uh, Waller. They find a record of Bickerstyke being a part of it. Smith points out that if anyone were to publish the speeches by Bickerstyke, his chances as a candidate are nil. Uh, yeah, that's the end of that chapter. So I, I think these last two chapters are where Smith went from annoying to essentially a James Bond villain. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. <clears throat> it's his villain origin story. Yeah, I mean... I, I gotta say, it even for somebody who isn't particularly likable, it was a bit of a flip from everything before. It's just like he had been condescending to Mike before. Sure. But this was just mean. Yeah. It was like almost like openly antagonistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which 
I don't understand why. Like Mike. I, I was like, before chapter seventeen, did Smith get a girlfriend and Mike steal her <laughs> friend or something? Yeah, I was like, did Smith see Mike like kick a dog or something? Like, what happened? Yeah. So, so I got to imagine because you were having troubles with Smith beforehand. It, oh yeah. I was. I wasn't liking Smith beforehand, but is like okay that's smith and then it's just like oh okay mm -hmm. he, he he's an over top over the top villain in a superhero movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> so my first note was when he's you know edward has gone to bed and smith says you must let him come to tea at our flat one day. I may not be in myself. I have many duties which keep me away, but Comrade Jackson is sure to be there. And my comment was, fuck you. Honestly, that should have been Mike's comment, too. <laughs> right? <laughs> I have but the thing is, is that ten, he's there. Ten because... <laughs> in fuck. <laughs> oh. Yeah, the thing is, is he's there at the flat because of Smith, so he probably feels like he can't say that to him. Yeah. And he obviously wouldn't do it in this setting anyway. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's just like, you're just a dick. And then my other note was, Smith is talking about the, the Tulse Hill Parliament thing, and Mike asked, what's that? And Smith doesn't really answer the question he just rambles for a little bit and mike says i don't know what the dickens you're talking about and my, my comment was i feel like that's normal mike my sweet average boy <laughs> i don't feel like anyone knows what the fuck smith is talking about <laughs> this is definitely the book with the most f words Oh yeah. Used toward it. <laughs> oh yeah. Smith Smith triggers something in me. Yeah, I don't think <laughs> I, I don't recall any in the pot hunters at all. As confusing as it was. Mm -hmm. I, I think it was more just like, what the hell's going on? Kind of yeah. yeah, I don't know if I swore in the pot hunters. I do not think at the very least that you did not use the F word. I've used it probably 10 times already. And I'm even just saying the F word now because I'm trying mm -hmm. to counterbalance you. <laughs> I'm so sorry for any of our audience <laughs> listeners that <laughs> don't like swear words. I usually That's try like, to. I'm going to listen to this nice podcast about the words <laughs> of Pete Woodhouse, who has no sex scenes and doesn't use bad words in his novels. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. so like if if language offends anyone i'm very sorry usually i try to keep it at a minimum but like i said smith just triggers something in me yeah you should hear her at temple <laughs> i generally do not swear at temple i like that you say you generally i mean i'm not perfect <laughs> What I need to do is learn the Hebrew swear words, and then it'll be appropriate. I don't think that's what you need to do. <laughs> that sounds more like a want. <laughs> Chapter 19. 
Woodhouse talks about the bank and the people who work there, including several people who play absolutely no part of the novel. So I didn't write anything about them. I think this is a chapter where I, I'm sort of, oh yeah. I made a note of like, this feels like an odd time to go into the details of the bank. Shouldn't this have been towards the beginning? <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I, I don't, sometimes I just don't understand Woodhouse just like, oh, I just want to talk about things that don't really have to do with what we're saying, but... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> One day, Waller comes in and is silent and looks tired. Mike, big surprise, feels uncomfortable talking to Waller about what might be wrong. <laughs> so he decides to consult Smith, who has no problem talking to anybody about anything. But Smith does talk to Waller and finds out that Edward is sick with pneumonia. Uh, Waller does his job mechanically. Eventually, the day ends. And this chapter is pretty much just a setup for the next one. Yeah. I made a note that Mike, Mike had adjusted to the bank, right? Like, he had his little routine mm -hmm. of, of going around the bank and having tea and talking with Smith and having lunch. <laughs> and doing like five minutes of work and then having tea again. And <laughs> I made a note because it, Mike has this thought of like, it was by no means an unpleasant mode of spending a late January day. And I made a note that it sounds like very little actual work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, all right, man, you do you, boo. I mean, I've been in several work situations where, do a little bit of work and it's like well i don't have anything else to do for a while i'm just gonna go to the break room or go chat with this person yeah. or i'm gonna, I'm gonna go fuck around for a little bit i guess I, I mean as somebody who has worked in offices a lot it sounds like an office job yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and then i think this is my last note for the chapter but mike goes and talks to smith to you know, go talk to Waller to find out what's up. And <laughs> Smith, he makes a comment. He says, "So other people have troubles as well as myself." He murmured musingly. I had almost forgotten that. I believe him. Well, my comment was, well, that's not surprising. <laughs> I was like, that seems like the most honest thing he said. hundred <laughs> percent. I'm like, I believe you. This is the one time I believe what you're saying. Um, yeah, that was my, my final note for the chapter. Chapter 20. The next day, Waller is in a much better mood. Edward had gotten better. Smith feels he can now concentrate on his own woes, which include Bristow wearing yeah. patent leather boots with white kid gloves, as well as a satin tie, a waistcoat, and a ring. That ring. <laughs> a, I will say it's a lot of textures, but I don't see anything wrong with it. I also wrote, Bristow is my favorite character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, with Edward feeling better and Waller happier, Mike expects the following days to be untroubled by any other than the most minor of troubles. Well, I'm sure that'll turn out well. 
However, <laughs> early in the day, the next day, Waller comes out of the manager's office very pale. Apparently, he had cashed a check the day he was so concerned about Edward that turned out to be a forgery, a very clumsy forgery. Waller is concerned that he will be dismissed. Mike sits miserably before an idea comes to him, a very Mike idea. He yeah. goes in the Bickerstyke's office and says it was he who cashed the check. And there's the difference between Mike and Smith. I'm not saying that this was the thing to do, but this was definitely the very Mike thing to do. It was. Um, it was also my only comment was when he goes and talks to Bickersdyke and he says that I was at the counter when it was brought in. I cashed it. And my only comment was, oh, you sweet boy. Because <laughs> I'm like, dumb, but very in character. <laughs> I mean, Mike is always going to be the type of person to sacrifice himself for somebody else's sake. He sees Waller, who is a much older gentleman, uh, who, as he says, doesn't really know what else he can do if he does get dismissed. He has a family, mm -hmm. whereas Mike has no attachments. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And like you said before, Mike is a man of action. Yeah. Like, he's not going to bother with words when there's something that he could do. Like, he can yeah. do something about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now, obviously, we can go, well, if Mike had taken time, he could have come up with something else. But that wouldn't be in character. <laughs> that would not be in character for Mike. <laughs> yeah, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't think that much, which is okay. And that is in no way to suggest that Mike is dumb. No. But Mike's first action is always going to be to act. Yeah. Before thinking. <laughs> yeah, he might think about it later. <laughs> so, chapter 21. Bristow lets Smith, in his own colorful language, the delightful scamp, know that Mike is getting an air, earful from Bickersdyke. Smith says he cannot stand for this when he thinks, or at least says, Mike is a sensitive plant, highly strong and neurotic. What? I highlighted that. Okay. <laughs> and I'm honestly surprised I didn't write another fuck you. I wrote, excuse you. <laughs> because he is not a highly strong neurotic plants you weirdo <laughs> like if you're gonna compare mike to anything it wouldn't be a plant but i'm just like excuse you this is supposed to be your friend you can't just go around comparing him to shrubbery and and that leaves me with like okay does he actually think this about mike or yeah do, does he just say this type of stuff to make himself superior to Mike. I think it's the latter. I either one isn't good, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think honestly I kind of think it's both. Mike had gotten a sentence of dismissal after listening to a gale storm of critique. 
He wonders what they will say at home. <laughs> Mike, Lord love him, doesn't really think of that stuff before acting, I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> if it were summer, he could play cricket, but it's not summer yet. Smith comes by and Mike suggests they go have a cup of coffee. After Mike tells him what happened, he says what Mike has done, something that shows some of Mike's better quality shouldn't have been done. So compliment, slam down. <laughs> For it might interfere with his secretarial duties. He says that. So shortly after Smith calls Mike a sensitive plant, which I still have a lot of issues with as a comparison. Um, he says, if I find, as I suspect, that he has wronged Comrade Jackson, I shall be forced to speak sharply to him. And my comment was, oh, yes, that's so scary. Stop pretending to be some big bad, you fucker. I'm like, oh, you're going to speak sharply to someone who is your boss. Like, that... Oh, he has no respect. Well, he... Full stop. I don't need to add any qualifiers. <laughs> what I find interesting through all these Woodhouse novels is how you feel about hierarchy. <laughs> that that is a fair observation. <laughs> that is not something that I really thought is like Robin's really like you have to follow a hierarchy. <laughs> that that is, that is fair because it, it also came up when we were talking about something fabulous. Like, yeah, I I my one of my main issues for why I didn't like the book was that the hierarchy, the social hierarchy, was not respected. Yes, that people should not act that way towards a duke. Yes, and so and this is the same sort of situation. Look, I often, I have rebellious tendencies i don't typically respond well to authority but when it comes to other people <laughs> especially fictional characters they should <laughs> show some little bit of respect for the hierarchy like in real life if if smith was an actual person who acted like this he would have been fired his first week. And so it's it's the fact that like the hierarchies aren't respected and we're expected to believe that that bothers me. It's not like I want hierarchies all over the place, but it's the fact that like the hierarchy is essentially being treated like it doesn't matter and there are no consequences. Yeah. I'm just saying if if people only listen to our podcast and like, sure. watch our videos, it, it, they would think like you're a bit of an authoritarian, <laughs> and I, I would, I can understand that. I'm not, <laughs> but I can understand why. And I know you're not. It's just funny whenever we're talking about yeah fiction. Yeah, <laughs> you always well, like well, it, and I think I brought this up with something fabulous. Like I can suspend my disbelief for a lot of things, but hierarchy is is. That's a hard one for me to suspend my disbelief. Yeah, no, it's also, it's true. Whatever opinions we might have about uh, dukes or mm -hmm. capitalism, 
you're simply not going to act like that at yeah. your job and expect and to still be around. around. <laughs> yeah. So this so I have another I have a highlighted passage. Apparently I used an emoji, but I don't know which one. Well what what's the passage? I think it was the eye roll emoji. Because the passage is that it's Smith talking, of course. They are fully competent to conduct the business of the department in my absence. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. I'm pretty sure it's an eye roll emoji. Because <laughs> I'm just like, usually if I'm using an emoji, it's a crying laughing one. I wouldn't have used the crying laughing one in that situation. Oh, <clears throat> this is also the chapter where I say, I have to seriously wonder if Smith is delusional. Because he's talking to, oh, he's talking to Mike. And he says, I prefer to think that Comrade Bickersdyke regards me as his friend and well-wisher and will lend a courteous ear to my proposal, to any proposal I see fit to make. And this is where I'm like, he has to be delusional. And Mike, sweet, sweet boy, says, look here, Smith. For goodness sake, don't go playing the goat. There's no earthly need for you to get lugged into this business. AKA, you're not gonna help. Yeah, I, I don't think Smith is delusional. I think he, he does have an inflated self-image, but I, I just think he looks down on other people so much that he has to use that type of language to mm -hmm. bring people down levels. Yeah. Like, nowadays, he would be a narcissist. Like, 100% diagnosed. Oh, yeah. I feel comfortable saying he's a narcissist, and I do think he has some sociopathic <laughs> tendencies. <laughs> <laughs> I may be wrong, but I feel comfortable suggesting that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So, chapter 22. Waller is happy, has not been dismissed, and is showing a lot of gratitude to Mike. So much so that he can't actually show it by even talking to Mike. <laughs> uh, so he talks to Smith, who makes himself seem like the hero of the story. Uh, Smith intends to see Bickersdyke at the club and approaches him in the Turkish baths. Which automatically, very uncomfortable to have any sort of conversation. <laughs> like, why would, don't follow someone into a Turkish bath. If all you're wearing is a towel, don't, don't. Don't stalk someone. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't. Just overall, take no life lessons from Smith. I'm trying to think if there's anything he's done that I say, well, except this, but nothing's no. coming to mind at the moment. <laughs> my my only note for this chapter oh, was mainly due to a misreading on my part. Oh, God. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, Mr. Waller is very grateful and mingled with the 
with the relief were sympathy for Mike, gratitude to him for having given himself up so promptly, and a curiously dazed sensation as if somebody had been hitting him on the head with a bolster. I originally read bolster as lobster. <laughs> of all the directions I thought we were going to go, that was... I know. I know you thought it was going to go in a very sexual, perverted area. It didn't. I was just confused for a second. I don't know. I read... maybe some people have a lobster kink, so... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe. But, yeah, I read <laughs> hitting him in the head with a lobster, and I'm like, I mean, I guess that would also make you curiously dazed. You... That'd probably be a little bit more painful because they had the claws and... <laughs> yeah. I also don't know what a bolster is. I For some reason, I just assume it was like a club. Sure, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Well, but... I don't know if this is what it was, but a noun bolster, a long, thick pillow that is placed under other pillows for support. Yeah, I feel like lobster would hurt more. Uh... <laughs> now, between a pillow and a lobster, I'd go for pillow. <laughs> Chapter 23. Smith talks and talks and talks. Bickerstyke moves to the opposite end of the room. Smith follows him and talks. Bickerstyke leaves the room. Smith follows again. Bickerstyke goes back to the first room, and Smith notes that he has made the man restless. Yeah, stalking does that. Yeah, it makes people very uncomfortable. Bickerstyke appears to be immersed in a newspaper. Smith says that obviously while he dismissed Mike in the moment, he didn't really mean it. Bickerstyke insists that he did. Smith is quiet but continues to follow Bickerstyke. Eventually, Smith starts to read a book aloud in such a manner that Bickerstyke must strain to hear. It turns out Smith is reading meeting notes from when Bickerstyke was a socialist. Smith suggests that he might send some copies of the speeches to the clarion. He says he might be in such gloom at losing Mike that the only thing to cheer him up would be sending the speeches. Bickerstyke gives in and says he won't dismiss Mike. And I did not want Mike to be dismissed. And yet I'm like, this does not make me happy. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I didn't want Mike to be dismissed, but I didn't want him to not be dismissed this way. <laughs> so essentially, like, we're going to acknowledge, right, that Smith, no matter what he says, threatened Bickersdyke. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, it wasn't even necessarily veiled. Yeah. Well, but the reason I say Smith, whatever he says, is that he feels as though he's just, I would be so depressed. La, la, la. Like he's he's gonna say that he didn't threaten or blackmail, but he did. Oh yeah. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because in the Turkish bath, Smith goes into this weird conversation about how <laughs> the sounds in the Turkish bath, like there's a lot of dripping, because duh. He says that drip drip again. It may be merely water, but how are we to know that it is not blood? It would be so easy to do away with a man in a tur Turkish bath. Nobody has seen him come in. Nobody can trace him if he disappears. These are uncomfortable thoughts, Mr. Bickersdyke. 
yes, they are uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. And so my comment was, so you're getting Mike's job back by threatening the boss. I, I was like, and Whoa. while he's not apparently threatening murder, which is definitely how it sounds at first, he is does end up threatening him. Yeah, but after the suggestion that a person can be easily killed in the circus bath, threatening to send speeches to a newspaper seems quaint. I I guess. Because <laughs> I was like, I read that, and I'm like, uh... Oh, he's gonna die. Yeah, I was like, lends more credence to your sociopath theory. <laughs> um, my other note <laughs> was more Smith being absolutely fucking insane. Oh, I guess he's talking to Mike about it or something. I don't know. Um, the evening paper hid the manager's expressive face, but from the fact that the hands holding it tightened their grip, Smith deduced that Mr. Bickersdyke's attention was not wholly concentrated on the city news. Moreover, his toes wriggled. And when a man's toes wriggle, he is interested in what you are saying. And my note was, what? <laughs> I just said, I don't think that's a rule. And why are you looking at his feet that closely? I was like, how did you see this enough that this has become an axiom for you that right? That man's toes wriggled. Obviously, he's interested in what I'm saying. That means you've watched many toes wriggle. Men's toes wriggle. So I'm just like maybe you just have a foot fetish. Maybe. What? Which again, that would be another thing that would humanize. That's fine, but also gross. Dad does not have a foot fetish. <laughs> I have an anti-foot fetish. <laughs> there is nothing wrong with people who have. No, there's nothing wrong. Fetishes. It's just I. Yes. No. I just want to make sure that people know that we're not yucking their yum. If you have a foot fetish, I'm talking to anybody listening to this. That's yeah, I fun. also don't have a foot fetish. <laughs> if you have a foot fetish and you're doing something about it in front of me, then we have a problem. Yes. <laughs> don't but do you it. Are, you are totally valid in wanting to do things two feet yep. away from dad. There are people who have eye fetishes. Yeah, that would make you even more uncomfortable. And that absolutely gross. It, it, it grosses me out if people like even come close to touching their eyes so yeah yeah dad has a thing about eyes <laughs> um we just went into weird places i don't know because <laughs> you had to read that passage <laughs> well <laughs> smith had to think it yeah smith is a weird bird yeah i'm just i'm 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 kind of imagining him like if Woodhouse was writing now, what kind of strange shit he would be into? <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Did you have any other notes or no? That was weird it. passages you needed to read. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was it. All right, chapter twenty-four. Bickerstyke is elected to Parliament. Mike, who is now not dismissed, is moved from the cash department and put, and put in fixed deposits. Mr. Gregory, the head of the department, and Mike hate each other from the start. 
Gregory's type of leadership clashes with Mike, and Mike begins a loathe working at the bank. And basically, Mr. Gregory is a yeller. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, definitely that would not suit Mike at all. Also, cricket season is coming, and the bank seems like a prison to Mike. <laughs> when cricket season starts, the little cricketeer that he is only makes him want it more. Mm-hmm. So we can see the end coming. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's just funny. I mean, we're obviously going to spoil the upcoming chapters here, but like all the, these like last four or five chapters mm-hmm. uh, about him getting dismissed and then getting his job back. Mm-hmm. And now he's going to end up leaving. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it would have been better if he just. Yeah. I, I mean, yes, we got to see Mike doing a very Mike thing, sacrificing yeah. himself for Mr. Waller. But then we also had to put up with Smith. So. Yeah. Did you finish the chapter? I did finish. Yeah. I was okay. I was about to ask you many okay. We just started talking at the same time. My, my only note was about Mr. Gregory. And I have a question. It's said that Mr. Gregory, before joining the home staff of the new Asiatic bank, had spent a number of years with a firm in the Far East where he had acquired a liver. What? And that was my note. My note was, what? Um, Did he have a liver transplant? Did he eat liver? I... There's a there's also another mention, I don't remember if it's in this chapter, of of the liver, where I, I think he is eating it, but I didn't highlight it, so I can't tell you for sure. But I was just so very confused by him getting a liver in the Far East. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't say what. I said sorry. <laughs> I don't I, I don't know, honestly. <laughs> That's uh, like I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I, I kind of thought that that was a way of saying he had developed a drinking habit. Um, okay. That but is it also doesn't play a part in a novel, so it doesn't really yeah. come up later. So I that was kind of what I thought, but it was also like <laughs> he doesn't play. So, okay. So the only other, there was one other mention of liver. Okay. And a habit of addressing those under him in a way that suggested the mate of a tramp steamer. Even on the days when his liver was not troubling him, he was truculent. So, so he's liver issues? So he may possibly due to drinking? <laughs> may have had a liver transplant is one possibility. I don't know like how likely liver transplants were back then. Or yeah, yeah it could be a drinking problem, and that's just Woodhouse's way of saying it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Which I'm yeah, kind of leaning towards the second one. Sure. Yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah. It, I was just confused at the phrasing of like, he got a liver. And I'm like, you don't have to go to Asia for that. You you can get livers in Britain. Yeah. It, it just sounds <laughs> like. <laughs> it, and that's why it makes me think like, oh, he was working there and. Mm-hmm. Maybe just going out drinking every night or something. Yeah, yeah, that may okay. That makes a lot more sense. It's like I don't know if 
what did it say asia or japan is this just said far east far east so i don't know if like like they're drinking issues there or if people being away from their homes in the far east yeah is, I, there, are, I'm assuming, there are a lot of things. Yeah, I'm assuming it's just drinking. Okay, okay. That was that's my only note for the chapter. It's just confusion. <laughs> <laughs> my notes from this chapter are confusion. Yeah. <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> chapter 25. Mike is getting more and more sick of the bank. <laughs> 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 what? I mean, that is accurate. Mike is thinking of chucking the whole thing and becoming a pro cricket player. He thinks he might try to get off early and go see the county team, captain by his brother Joe. He actually got off a lot more. William, the messenger, tells him he's wanted on the phone. It's Joe on the phone. He wants to know if Mike can get off and play for them against Middlesex, as there'll be one short. Mike, once again, being of decisive action says he'll be there he's like that was just the excuse i needed to finally leave the bank <laughs> yeah but mike is just like act hey wait oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> do something now what were those consequences gonna be oh well, well too late now <laughs> um my my only note was another case in which I really related to Mike as someone who also barely tolerates their job. <laughs> Mike said, this is what happened in Mike's case. Day by day through the summer, as the city grew hotter and stuffier, his hatred of the bank became more and more the thought that occupied his mind. It only needed a moderately strong temptation to make him break out and take the consequences. And if I thought it was just, hey, I get that. And, and I honestly, I get the feeling is like, are we talking about Mike or are we talking about what else? Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to look back at the uh, biography, but that could be similar. I, I know he did not work there long. <laughs> All right. Any more notes? Chapter 26. Getting off the phone, Mike runs into Smith. He asks him to tell Gregory he won't be with him today. Smith tries to talk him out of it, but is unable, and he says he shall see him at Lord's later with his father is coming to London that day. Smith informs Gregory in his customary way. <laughs> Gregory has little patience for Smith and wants him to go with him to tell Bickersdyke. They do so. Bickersdyke says that Smith is to help Gregory in his department and he'll arrange for someone else to take his place in Smith's department. Yep. And I kind of like Gregory just because he has no patience for Smith. Yeah, I don't like him anywhere else in the novel, but I'm like, yeah, yeah I feel you, brother. <laughs> yeah, just the way he interacts with Smith. I'm like, you know what? You're not all bad. Chapter 27. Mike gets the Lords where they won the toss, and Mike is in the fourth wicket, which, okay, yeah. I, it means something. I guess he comes up to bat fourth. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, being in a job in which sports Sports is a huge component. Hen thought that Mike might have any trouble getting off work. 
and I just love that little detail. It's like I yeah, I, I did appreciate that. I'm like, I guess that's fair. Reggie, another brother, is also on the team. Mike, waiting to play, realizes his actions mean that he will not be looking forward to a banking career. <laughs> I like that oh. he talks about that later. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> he thinks how he might go about with a pro cricket career. He calls up the bank and talks to Smith about how matters went. He asks if he has received the sack. Smith says there is no official word, but he is offered another job that day. He should take it. Which that's probably the most I like Smith in the whole novel. Yeah. The way he said that, I was like, yeah. <laughs> You're not fired, but you know, if you have another opportunity, you might just want to take it. <laughs> um, a few cricket notes for Robin. <laughs> LBW you might remember, is leg before wicket. Yes. Which means the batter obstructs the ball before it can hit the stump. I don't know what caught in the slips means, although I think it means someone caught the ball. Okay. I think that may have been Woodhouse's just strange way of saying it. Yeah. Uh, so Mike is up, and once he gets at the wicket, all his bad feelings leave him. That's the end of the chapter. Did you have any notes, Robin? It was chapter 27, right? Chapter 27. No yeah. Smith, but cricket. Lots of cricket. My only note was uh, Mike sort of recognizing that there were not many spectators in the pavilion at this early stage of the game. Mm -hmm. And my note was because cricket takes four fucking ever. <laughs> Yes. I you don't, don't need to be there for the beginning of the game. <laughs> I, I don't know if this is like the cricket they played at school, which started, I believe, at nine mm -hmm. and went to like six. six. Yeah. Or like cricket in the pros at that time, which I believe lasted about three days. Yeah. But yeah. Obviously, taking breaks to sleep and stuff. I don't think they yeah. played for 72 hours straight, although that would have been fun. That would be. That would be amusing. Just yeah. Some man just <laughs> at the wicket, barely holding on to his <laughs> bat. <laughs> the bowler's just falling over. <laughs> I, I would pay to watch that. Yeah. I think it's the, the multi day one, though, because I think there's a, somewhere else they recognize, or Mike recognized that, like the first day of cricket. And that, that may be, and I may just yeah. kind of lost over that. Yeah, no, that's fair. But yeah, that was that was it. All right. Chapter 28. Smith sneaks out of work early. As he goes through the front door, Gregory bellows and asks where he's going. Smith doesn't answer. Smith doesn't say anything, which is a nice change. Shocking. <laughs> he meets his father who does call him Rupert just to remind him that that is his name, although it will not be so in the last Smith book. <laughs> the two of them talk about Mike, and Smith mentions that Mike is out with management because Mike chose to play cricket instead of work, a philosophy that Mr. Smith agrees with. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I appreciate Mr. Smith because he's like, no, yeah, yeah that makes I'm, sense. I'm also kind of like, how did you make that child 
Right? You seem like an okay guy for as little as we've seen you. <laughs> Smith, Smith's mom must have been like really like austere. <laughs> I like that that has now become part of your vocabulary. It has. It's, it's actually a really good word. Um, Smith suggests that banking is also not for him. And then he'd like to become a barrister, which I'm like, oh, oh God. Geez. The thought of Smith as a lawyer. Whew. He talks his father into agreeing with this. The two of them come to see Mike closing in on a century. That's the end of that chapter. Yeah. Um, my my only note for this. <laughs> we seem to be like trailing off with either no notes or my only note. <laughs> well, there's just, there's just so much Smith. I can't can't do it anymore. Um. Two more books. <laughs> this was another case of I used an emoji that is not showing up, but I think it was the eye roll emoji. So from now on, don't use emojis. Apparently. <laughs> Just type LOL or eye roll or. <laughs> I'm fairly certain it was the eye roll emoji because it's when Mr. Smith is in the car and he tells Rupert to jump in and smith rarely jumped he entered the cab with something of the stateliness of an old roman emperor boarding his chariot and settled himself comfortably in his seat i'm like then, like a roman emperor he was assassinated oh wait no <laughs> god i wish <laughs> so i'm fairly certain it was the eye roll emoji because i'm just like okay you you're not Caesar. And if you were, I wish you died like him. Chapter 29. Mike feels uncomfortable before the lunch break, but everything changes after. He ends up with 148. He greets Smith, who wants him to come to the club with him to see Bickerstein, to announce that he is quitting. He says he has talked to his father about making Mike an agent on the Smith Estates. Of course, that would be after three or four years at Cambridge. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> what is an agent on this Smith estate? Does is Mike going to become a valet? A valet? <laughs> it, it, no. Uh, <laughs> I'm like I'm so confused. Basically, he would oversee the uh, estate, like uh, make purchases. I guess oversee people working there, maybe. Huh. Okay, so he really is going to work for Smith. I mean, that's the way we end up here. I don't believe that that's how things tur turn out in the next book. Uh, in the next book, Mike makes very little appearance in it. Um, and we won't read that one for a while, which we'll get into. Uh, but in the next book, he's like on a cricket tour. So I don't know if he's just taking a break from working on the estate mm -hmm. or or what. For, so that, that was part of my confusion because from how it seemed is like he would be an agent on the estate. And Mike was like, oh, that will allow me to play cricket for the county. Mm -hmm. So I guess both. <laughs> well, I mean, we already know that Mr. Smith 
feels like people should be able to play sports even yeah. if they're working so <laughs> yeah so yeah basically we leave this novel off with mike being set up for a good future at least mm -hmm. the foreseeable future yeah did did you have anything else no okay <laughs> <laughs> the last half of this novel is just dad talking. <laughs> hey, I've still talked. <laughs> chapter 30, the final chapter. Thank God. Okay. <laughs> At the club, Bickersdyke is happy. He sees a way to rid himself of Smith. Smith and Mike enter. Smith orders a brandy for Bickersdyke and goes to him. Bickersdyke says he will talk to Smith tomorrow. Smith says he will not see them tomorrow. Smith says that he and Mike are leaving the bank. Bickersdyke says he is aware of that. Smith indicates that they are resigning, that there is not a chance for him to fire them. He doesn't actually say this, but he says it in his own Smith way. Yeah. And that's it. Yep. That was Mike and Smith's banking career in Smith's travel into super villainry. Yeah. I guess. I mean. There's no other way to describe it. Um, my only note for this chapter was when Smith is talking to Bickersdyke and he's doing his smithism and just talking about crap that doesn't have anything to do with anything. Uh, Bickersdyke says, if you have anything to say to me, said the manager, I should be glad if you would say it and go. And my note was just like, right? Smith <laughs> talks way too much. <laughs> I mean, yeah, by the end of the novel, you're like, yeah, I kind of see Bickersdyke's point of view. In that yeah. Like, considering Bickersdyke is supposed to be, like, the antagonist. Yeah. I I really empathize with him. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> honestly, if, if Smith wasn't involved with, in this novel, Bickersdyke would seem like, yeah, he's the antagonist. He's a bad guy. Yeah. But with Smith being his main adversary, it just doesn't come across that way. Nope. It... it it's like, okay, yes, you can empathize with the villain sometimes or feel bad for them, but... Sure. It, but if you don't feel like they're actually a villain... Yeah. Like, he's just doing his job. Yeah, he did nothing to Smith that warranted this. Yeah. And like I said, if, if it had been Mike, I could at least see it, even though sure, what he did to Mike didn't sense. really warrant anything either. But, yeah. you know, it, it it's basically, oh, you crossed me in the most benign of manners, and now I must destroy you. Yeah, it's just like, what? <laughs> All the man did was walk, was walk. And maybe in the wrong area. But that, again, that didn't have anything to do with Smith. It was yeah, that was their disagreements over dinner, basically. Yeah. 
So it's Smith never never says what those disagreements were about. Yeah, it's just that they disagreed. Yeah, and because figures like didn't agree with Smith, Smith proceeded to make his life a living literal hell. Yeah, and now what it really is is that because they disagreed and Smith is being Smith, Bickerstyke says to Mr. Smith, if I had him mm -hmm. working for me, I would set him straight. That's yeah. what did it. Which, I, I'm sorry, Bickerstyke is completely valid in saying that. If I had, and that was part of something, I didn't make note of it in the notes, but I did comment on it in my vlog of like, at the oldest, Smith is like 20. I think he's like 18. Uh, I believe at some point, I don't think him, but I think at some point it's mentioned that Mike is 19. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I think you're right. I assume over the course of the year, Smith yeah. is 19 and probably 20 by the end. Sure. So, so you have this little 20-year-old pissant. And I was if I had this like little twenty year old fucker just mouthing off, <laughs> like I would immediately be like, "Dude, someone needs to take you down a peg because you are too much." So I I completely empathize with Bickerstyke. I'm honestly surprised at his self restraint. I would have shoved Smith into a closet. I would have put him in the chokey. For people who don't know what that is, go watch Matilda. I was like, Robin's <laughs> spitting Matilda bars. <laughs> I'm like I'm pulling out Brit British insults and Matilda. <laughs> Limey. <laughs> Let me talk a little bit about our schedule. Okay. Originally, well, we are doing Carry On Jeeves as our next book mm -hmm. uh, originally after that we were going to do smith journalist followed by leave it to smith after i started reading this book i saw what robin's reaction was going to be and being the kind-hearted father i was i i felt i don't need to burden robin with two smith's books in a row I felt like if we had stuck with the original schedule and we read two Smith's books in a row during November and December, I might have started to hate you. <laughs> <laughs> so my original plan was series books I wanted to read in order. Mm -hmm. Although I will be honest, a lot of the series don't necessarily need to be read in order. Sure but i preferred it that way there are things that happen in some of the books that get mentioned later particularly like in the jeeves books but they're not essential to the plot oftentimes they're just birdie talking about something that happened previously mm -hmm. it's not essential to the plot so i mo moved smith journalists from two books from now to i believe like seven books out and i put frozen assets is mm -hmm. going to be the book that we read after 
Carry On Jeeves and Frozen Assets is a standalone book, essentially. Okay. And then we're going to be reading Leave It to Smith, which is a Smith book and a Blanding's Castle book. So hopefully for you, Blanding's Castle will offset Smith some. That is our schedule now. I've taken over editing and posting since Robin is going to school now, as she mentioned previously. Uh, I plan to plan to post a podcast the first of each month. So hopefully we'll be consistent on that basis. Sometimes, we, we should be now that you're editing. <laughs> yeah, we should be, but sometimes circumstances happen and you have a lot on your plate. I think we will, but just in case, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's our, our plan. Now, as I mentioned, our next book is Carry On Jeeves. I guess before I go into that, is there anything else that we want to say about Smith in the City? Fuck Smith. Okay. I figured we had pretty much, because I don't know how Just long to put we, a really fine point on it. Yeah, I don't know how long this podcast is going to end up being, but we're, if we're not as far as long as we've recorded in our longest one before, we're pretty close. Yeah. Okay, so we have nothing else to say about Smith. <laughs> no. Again, if you like Smith, good for you. We don't judge you. We don't judge you. I, I like things that other people would probably go, well, that's weird. Um, but, you know, you can like Smith. You can like feet, whatever. <laughs> it's your deal. Oh, that's you're fine. Comparing, you're comparing Leggy Smith to a foot fetish. They are both things that make me go kind of, Whoa. <laughs> Again, nothing wrong with foot fetishes. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just, it's... it's they're they're it's uncomfortable for you. There's nothing wrong with pickles. I don't like pickles either, though. That is fair. You I can also eat pickles. Like That's fine. Dad, Dad and I have a lot in common. <laughs> There's a lot we don't have in common. That's because, true. <laughs> we didn't necessarily enjoy this book. I gave it a higher rating than Robin did. Yeah, and but, the only reason it got such a high rating from me was because of Mike. Yeah, which will make the next. Book. Oh, I can't can't wait to see what I end up reading that one. Yeah, not not the next Smith book that we do, but the next book in the series, the one that we're going to do like in March or April. Yeah. It has very little Mike. Leave it Smith has very little Mike, but it has characters from Blaney's Castle. So Sure, that should balance it out a little bit. Smith Journalist is set in America, has gangsters. Oh, God. And it has Smith running a newspaper and how that all happens you'll have to read to see but all right so but our next book is carry on jeeves it i believe is the second to last jeeves book that is short stories mm -hmm. after that it moves to novels uh, some of these short stories in here are ones that we have already read, although there are some slight changes. Okay. There is one short story in here that was a Reggie Pepper oh. short story. This is the one where they tried to teach the kid to say <laughs> the thing. That yeah. They, yeah. If, except <laughs> instead of Reggie Pepper now, it's Jeeves it's, and Worcester. Yeah. 
Okay. So, okay. And, and then there are other stories that we have not read before, including uh, the one in which Bertie and Jeeves first meet. Oh, okay. Yes. It also includes the only Jeeves and Worcester story in which Jeeves narrates. Oh, okay. Yes. That'll, that'll be interesting. That will be interesting because we have different feelings about Jeeves. Yeah. Uh, I like Jeeves as a character. Yeah. Uh, Jeeves as a person, I, I like a little bit less. Robin does like him. So uh, it will be interesting to see how Robin responds to Jeeves when he's narrating. And you sure. kind of see the stuff that you don't usually see in the other books. Mm -hmm. You, you kind of see, well, how the magic's performed a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that is our next one. This collection will obviously be out October 1st, so that one will be out November 1st. Mm -hmm. Frozen Assets on December 1st, and Leave it to Smith on January 1st. Yep. <laughs> and, and I... I that's going to be a hell of a way to start the year. <laughs> I, I was going to ask that. Did you return it while we were going over the last chapter? No. You returned it just as soon as we finished the last chapter. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I said everything I needed to say, including Mike Smith. <laughs> yeah, I was I was gonna ask because like you didn't have many notes for the last chapters. You had returned it before then. Just saw. Uh, okay, I don't have any notes. <laughs> no. I appreciate I, that you waited till we were done talking about it. <laughs> Yeah, no, at, by, <laughs> by both the time that I finished the book and the time that we finished talking about the book, I'm very done with Smith. <laughs> and I don't want him to take up any more brain space. I, I do like that, at least with Carry On Jeeves, that you you like Jeeves and Worcester. So yes. you, you, you are not going to like some of the characters in here, obviously, because they're friends of Birdie and yeah, I, I hardly are like any of Birdie's friends because yeah, but that's to be expected. Yeah. Um, well, and plus they're not the main character. Yeah, and you also have a physical copy, so yes. <laughs> I guess you could just stand up in the middle of the podcast, go put it on the shelf. <laughs> I could be like, I'm done with this now. Um, I yeah. I don't anticipate me doing that with a, a Jeeves and Wooster story. Thank you for listening. This has been I'll Be Dash, a Woodhouse podcast uh, with Smith in the City, and we will see you next time with Carry On Jeeves. Tally -ho. <laughs> I don't think they ever say Tally Ho. I don't books. know. I wanted to do it. Shut up.